Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Augustin Friedel. Augustin is currently working at Volkswagen, but expresses a lot of his own views also today. Very, very frequently is one of the most active contributors from what I can see in, in our space. And what I love about your content is that you often manage to really zoom out. I love this kind of top-down view. Just give me the overview of kind of how do you cluster solutions or who all is there at the moment. And you really yeah, manage to often take a step back. You have a long history in mobility and uh, logistics um, and currently working on strategy for um, the Volkswagen um, brand when it comes to sustainability and these new topics. Welcome. Thank you for spending some time with us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Gunnar, and the Wunder community. Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, um, I work for Volkswagen, but what I present or like what we talk today in the podcast is my personal opinion. That's basically my second job that I do in my free time besides what I do for Volkswagen, publishing, sharing, interesting data points, stories about uh, the new mobility. Um, and yeah, thanks also for the feedback. And um, I will continue doing that because it's, uh, I think, a great contribution to the industry uh, covering all the trends, which is kind of a, of a roller coaster that we have seen in the last years. And I also expect that this will be the future. Mm. And uh, maybe a quick uh, recap. So I met early, uh, I, I met uh, Wunder Mobility early on in my mobility career. I think it was in the Wunder Car Times uh, mm -hmm. where we tried to crash uh, your party in Haus am See here in Berlin and you had your launch party there because at this time I was at Uber and we were quite nervous about uh, what you guys were building then there in, in Hamburg. Um, and I think there was like a second startup also out of Berlin, um, tried to challenging the Uber business model. Um, so that was basically my, my first touch point uh, with Wunder or like Wunder Car um, back in the days. This was about 2013, right? And you were part of, I think, probably the very first uh, yeah, activities of uh, Uber in Germany. This was about the time when Uber got started and um, you were one of the first, very first people there, right? Yeah, yeah. so it was crazy times. So I was employee number two in Germany and like globally, Uber had 120 people. Um, I think today, I don't know how many 10,000s they have, uh, but it was like very small and uh, team and uh, very intense time to launch Uber here in Germany, but also then like work with the international teams to, to scale it um, across the countries and to fight the regulators. And I mean, we all know it like uh, Travis Kalanick, he had like a really interesting approach uh, to go in first and then apologize later. Um, not sure if it was the, the smartest move when I, mean, I look back now, um, but basically this was, was the setup there. Full gas, hassle, and then if there's a problem, ask for apologies then later. And that worked in some places, but yeah, not in others. And I would say in Germany actually are not. Like we've both, I think, moved on from this uh, topic of like ride healing operations uh, in different ways, different directions. Uh, what did you do um, since in the last eight years, roughly? What's been your main topics? Yeah, like after graduation, I basically jumped into the startup ecosystem. My passion topic was always mobility. And then there was like the, the first hype around 2012, 2013. 
Um, when Uber came to Europe, when you guys started, um, there were also a lot of activities in, in car sharing. Um, and then a couple of years later, there was basically the kind of first dip in the industry. Um, so I decided, okay, to move on towards like more like e-commerce and, and logistics. Um, so I um, worked um, three years for Rocket Internet roughly on uh, different ventures for them uh, before I moved them back in into my passion topic um, and then more towards the corporate world because of family plannings, etc. And uh, work-life balances uh, was then a better fit um, with the family and the corporate world. Um, so that's, uh, that's where I am today, um, pushing strategic topics for automotive OEMs, new mobility topics, and then besides that, follow them my passion um, and uh, share um, data, knowledge, great reports, etc., and share them on LinkedIn to the community there. You mentioned this in passing, but we talked about it before the recording started. You um, also have three young kids at the moment. And I believe the, the way you, um, from what I can see from the outside, um, you first, after Rocket, uh, went um, to Deutsche Bahn before Volkswagen Today or Deutsche Bahn subsidiary for ride-hailing, uh, new mobility topics, Yoki. Mm -hmm. And there was uh, an angle, I think, uh, how you got in touch. You were already big in uh, to publishing about new mobility topics at the time. You always did this on the side. Can you talk a little bit about this, what the um, format was that you had there? And because that ended up being owned by Yoki later. Yes, that's correct. So when I left the mobility industry, um, I like this, I think that it, it was like this black lane, one of the Mercedes-Benz um, funded startups. Mm -hmm. um, I said, okay, let's let's continue stay in touch with the industry and start like a a blog covering the international topics in like shared mobility, autonomous driving. I think like the headline back in the days was like everything related to case um, connected, autonomous, shared, and, and electrified. Um, and they are like had a, a German um, blog, which I maintained. Um, when I was at Rocket Internet, I traveled a lot uh, to Paris and London. And basically, I used the time then uh, during the flights to, to write in there like the post and, and publish it. Um, so that, that was basically uh, my tactic to, to calm down after like a hard work week, then on the way back or flight back to Berlin uh, to follow there my passion and then, then push it out. And as you mentioned, yeah, I handed over then this project to Deutsche Bahn, to Yoki. Um, but I uh, didn't uh, stop um, like writing or like publishing. I used the like LinkedIn uh, to reach and build there like the audience. And now also in English to reach and then more people. So at first it was only German. Now it's like uh, English and uh, the reach is uh, way beyond what I had before on the blog. So I think... One thing that's fascinating about like being able to publish all this stuff is where do you get all your information from? But you also, I think, uh, sit down to do your own calculations or estimates and so on. Um, how, who, what are your, what are some of the top sources that you like to follow? Um, so I think you are a source that many people in the industry follow. What are your sources that you recommend where, where you get some of your information? Um, so it's a mix. Of sources, I would say. So one big source is definitely Twitter. Um, so there I follow the industry leaders, companies, and they push out uh, like their messages there. Uh, big uh, source of information are also like newsletters uh, by companies or by 
by media companies, then also like uh, media or news sites like TechCrunch uh, and and others, or like um, then. Can you give some? Like, so can you can you give some names for Twitter, for example, or for for newsletters, like your two or three favorites? So I like with Twitter. Um, that's uh, yeah. I don't have like any name in my mind that I could share now. It's more like okay, a lot of incoming feeds and links, and uh, and then I save it in my pocket list and, and read okay. it later. So I often don't know where uh, where I have this this link or information from. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you have show notes. They can put together a list uh, then for your show notes as well. Um, on and then on the newsletter side. I mean, I like the one from Flukto. I think you mm -hmm. um, interviewed uh, Julien also in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they have a weekly report oversharing um, then by the Shared Mobility Center um, out of the US. They have a great newsletter, um, Micromobility from Micromobility Industries uh, that have like the, the super newsletter every week and also the conference. Then they're then also like tech related, uh, like Morning Brew or like TechCrunch, uh, The Verge. They have also a um, lot of good newsletters also covering more topics, not only mobility, uh, but they are, have also often and mobility related stuff in their communications. Mm -hmm. So I want like to pick your brain a little bit about uh, shared mobility um, at the moment in terms of taxonomy, but also like scale and numbers just to get our orders of magnitudes uh, correctly. And um, maybe we could launch into this with like some definition, because I think it's not so straightforward, even if you would read maybe, for example, the McKinsey report, and then you get all this um, these activities split up, and then you wonder, okay, where's subscriptions in this? And maybe it's not actually clarified yet, so it's kind of always an ongoing thing. How do you define shared mobility at the moment? What kind of categories do you like to use? Mm, so for me, what characterizes shared mobility is that you use the vehicle like purpose dependent like if you have like a short-term trip um or short-term mobility need then you use it and then somebody else use it as after you um so that's the main definition i would say or like the main criteria for like a shared mobility vehicle at the moment now, if it comes then to subscriptions um for me it's not really shared mobility because you often have then um, you're the only user of this, this vehicle for like a long period of time. So it comes, if it comes to car, um, subscriptions, for example, yeah, we had like Cluno for, uh, two years and, uh, I don't know how long we will have then the other one. So that's, that's for me, not shared mobility. And I think that it's the same then for other types of vehicles, also like a subscribed bike with like swap feeds or like other, um, brands, other operators you use for several months or years. Um, and for me, shared mobility is more, okay, um, yeah, you need a vehicle now, you need it only for the trip, uh, you are completely uh, vehicle agnostic, um, and then, okay, you, you jump from, from one type of vehicle to another, depending on the use case you have. Yeah, is it like short trip to the train station, or is it a taxi ride, or like you need a car uh, sharing vehicle because you go like grocery shopping or to Ikea, um, so then, okay, you use it for the trip, but after the trip, uh, you basically give it away and uh, you most likely will never use the same vehicle again. And, okay, so you made it clear on the timelines. If we talk about subscriptions or, you know, monthly arrangements, maybe a form of financing, but it's not, um, it's not actually shared mobility um, in, in your um, sense. What about um, 
publicly versus privately owned systems is public transportation part of shared mobility? So it's been here forever and now a few percentages are added to it, or would you also leave that out for our kind of scale discussion? Mm, for me, it's an essential part of the whole shared mobility ecosystem, definitely. So it's a different form of, of shared mobility, especially if you talk about the traditional public transport, like subways, regional trains, or like um, cable cars, uh, streetcars, buses, etc. I mean, you also, like from a user perspective, you use it like or you jump on, on the vehicle just for like a trip and, and then you have nothing to do with the vehicle anymore. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think the, uh, and, and what you see there, it's also that like the public transit systems or organizations, the traditional ones, they try to modernize. Yeah. Look at, uh, at, uh, micro mobility sharing they offer. Uh, maybe they're not subsidized directly by the public transit authority, but by the city then, um, which then also often owns the public transit authorities or there, then links definitely there. They try to offer like shared. Um, or like ride-sharing services, as uh, you mentioned, Ioki earlier, or Clever Shuttle, or Via, or like uh, SVWL, or you can name several other ones as well. Um, I think that's uh, they're like the it fits more or better together um, than like um, car subscription, vehicle subscription, and shared mobility. Mm -hmm. So if we yeah talk about shared mobility, somehow we have two big categories either. Um, there's a driver involved or you ride the vehicle yourself. And mm -hmm. then in both areas, if we follow your kind of taxonomy with public transport included, you have yeah, publicly organized and then newer private operators. So maybe not necessarily newer, but just private operators. Mm -hmm. um, if we zoom into the yeah, private operator um, business for vehicle sharing, vehicles you pick off the street and use yourself, what's your like estimate for order of magnitude of sharing vehicles um, in Germany and in Europe? Where do you think we stand at the moment? You mean in uh, like total fleet size? Or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whew, that's, that's hard to say. Um, it's definitely growing. Um, but like my estimate, like if we talk about all the verticals from car sharing, station-based car sharing, free-floating, And also shared micro mobility with like e-scooters, bikes, and scooters. Um, I would say for for Europe, we are around a million vehicles. I would estimate <laughs> for like uh, shared kick scooters, we have around five to six hundred thousand in Europe. Um, and then like station-based uh, car sharing, um, like they have like also big vehicle sizes, maybe not that or like fleet sizes, maybe not that many users in comparison to to car sharing. But like if we sum up all the different verticals, I would say we are at least at 1 million across Europe. And roughly how does that split down uh, out? Because uh, you already mentioned five, 600,000 kick scooters, probably it's mm -hmm. by far the largest bucket. What are the next big categories in terms of uh, vehicle types? I would say, yeah, I would say kick scooters are the largest, then bikes, then mopeds, and then cars. Maybe maybe Bikes. cars first and then then mopeds. Yeah. And how how do you think that will evolve this kind of modal split? Hmm, that's a yeah interesting question. I think what we see now it's that bikes they have kind of a revival. Yeah, with like the new um, e-bikes um, optimized for sharing that we see now on like the different operators that are also really liked by cities. Uh, we have then also more like. Um, 
bike or micro infrastructure in the cities is more bike lanes. Um, so I'm very optimistic that we will see more e-bikes. Um, I would say car sharing cars are stay relatively stable. Um, let's see what's, uh, what's happening with like the e-scooters and, and mopeds. Um, and my, my assumption is that bikes will pick up, um, e-scooters and mopeds will bit down, go down a little bit and, uh, car sharing will be stable. Mm -hmm. And about a million fleet size, I think I can also relate to that. Um, I think it's like, um, it's also what we can um, see. Where where do you see that going in the next five years or so, or maybe three years, if, if that's more kind of uh, whatever time frame you usually think in? But how dynamically do you see this growing? Hmm, I think it also depends on the, the vehicle or like vertical type. Um, I think with car sharing will um, stay stable because they're like um, the asset costs are very high, operation costs are very high. Uh, let's see if uh, Stellantis or Free to Move um, find like the switch to make it profitable now. Um, uh, as like yeah, they they took over the share now business from Mercedes and uh, BMW. Um, yeah, if they find the switch, maybe that uh, that could be interesting. Um, but maybe there also be the future is the more like autonomous driving and what we see then there in the AD age. But this is like if you ask me, far uh, like a couple of years away, especially in the European cities. Um, I think the most uh, like growth we will see then in uh, like the spikes, the shared e-bikes, um, because it's super convenient for like the users. Um, and then also, I think that the like critical part is that also that cities are, um, yeah, they like e-bikes more than like shared e-scooters, um, which makes it then also easier to to implement them. And I would say there's like a lot of room to grow. Um, maybe the fleet size will double in the next couple of years. Um, mm. E-bikes and then. Also, we'll see growth on um, on e-scooters and uh, and also maybe mopeds. Where does that leave someone like Volkswagen, who's of course focused on cars, and there's so much technological evolution to do with electrification and kind of bringing software and maybe new business models into the cars um, when it comes to sharing? So mm -hmm. um, there is a car sharing business, but overall, maybe your expectation is more that car sharing might not grow so much. Other micromobility modes might, but they are not currently manufacturing those. Um, is like vehicle sharing in that sense, taking out subscriptions, um, important business then for somebody like Volkswagen? Or how do you think? Mm, I, I can't share any details about Volkswagen, but uh, I mean, like Stellantis, they're like very transparent, for example, on like uh, their ambition. Yeah. I mean, they, they announced their, their forward strategy for 2030. Um, it's like, uh, and they um, predict around 300 billion revenues total for the group. And uh, like the free now vertical is like shared mobility, rental, et cetera. That they, uh, sorry, not the, the free now, the free to move uh, vertical with like the car sharing activities, rental activities, et cetera. Uh, that they predict around 3 billion. So it's uh, 1% of the um, the overall business or like revenue that they want to do, it should be sharing. The rest is with like software, um, electric vehicles, and so on. Yeah, and I think that's the the trend um, that you see across the the automotive industry. They see like um, a value in shared mobility, but the big revenue and uh, profit tickets come from like software um, features on demands, digital services. 
and then like of course like vehicle sales. Interesting. So while maybe Volkswagen's concrete ambitions aren't public, there's um, Stellantis, that's Fiat, who all is in there? Fiat, oh, Fiat uh, Citroën, Peugeot, um, then Chrysler, yeah. Jeep, a um, lot of lot of brands. I think there's also 11 to 12 brands or something. Like French, that. Italian, uh, US brands, um, it's a huge one. And they've been more outspoken, but even there they would say, okay, the 2030 ambition is 1% of revenue for mm -hmm. um, vehicle sharing. Mm -hmm. um, more of their vehicles might go into kind of ride-hailing setups and somehow be sold into those kind of fleets. But that really puts it into perspective for, for these OEMs. I think, how did you um, kind of interpret or observe this yeah, the evolution of this discussion for OEMs specifically, um, their interest in the topic over the, those last eight years? We talked about 2013, Uber, 120 people. Uh, you were the second person in Germany. And the whole topic began to grab a lot of attention. Mm. Um, and maybe there was even um, some fears to be yeah, losing parts of your business or your option. And then uh, now um, vehicle sharing, um, if successful, let's make that 1% of revenue in 2030. Mm. How did this evolve from your perspective? And what was maybe a trigger point to cause first, maybe a kind of fear and then a kind of... Um, um, shifting away of um, from these topics again. Yeah, I so saw when they started it, they thought, okay, it's easier uh, than they thought to set up those different verticals and services. Um, and now they, they realize, okay, it's like a really hassle and not really a profitable business to to get there. Yeah, I mean, also look at the like public companies like Uber or like Lyft or like the the Asian ones is like Grab. I mean, they have like a lot of them have hard times. None of them is like profitable. Um, and as in the hype was uh, like then also like opening the eyes and started the interest of OEMs to, to get in, in there. But like running a shared mobility um, service is completely different from what they um, like what they have done in the past, producing and uh, selling cars to like captives. Um, I think that's uh, that's the reality that they realized over time. And then um, okay, let's they thought, okay, let's uh, leave it to the experts, to the startups that uh, that have maybe better access to capital, um, get the right people on board. And I think also most important point is the the diff like the change or like difference in culture that you need for running and building those services. Yeah, I mean, you know it better than than me. The uh, environment was very dynamic during the last years. Yeah, from software use, so uh, vehicles offered. Um, expansion strategies, etc. Yeah, it's uh, and the OEMs. Um, I think it's the, the same for all. Um, they have they like ten year plans. Yeah, so if you get the budget, you need to come up with your ten year plan, and uh, basically you do it with like outdated information because you take okay what's the information from like the hype uh, startups, what they do or, or what they have already on the street, and uh, what numbers they push out, and you build your business case around it, and then it needs to be valid for 10 years. And then they expect that you execute it, um, which is then taking away um, your flexibility and agility to adopt to the market uh, developments on like customer reach out, um, city planning, expansion planning, vehicles planning, etc. Yeah, So I think that's like fundamental system uh, difference between like corporate startups or corporate world and what you need and uh, like shared mobility startup world to to succeed. 
who's the most um, maybe successful shared mobility operator in Europe at the moment? What do you think you admire maybe? Or at least you, you think they're doing a good job. Out of Europe, I think it's free now. Um, I like their approach and uh, they're a corporate startup, but they seem to be like very agile, adding new verticals, trying to build like a, a platform uh, for like shared mobility. So on like product development direction, um, I think it's it's cool, really cool what they do. Uh, if you like look at the numbers, I mean, then they, they publish the, the rights or like interaction numbers. I mean, there you see a clear difference between like them and like Ubers or like Lyfts. Um, I think that they, yeah, it's, it's challenging business or like environment where they're in. Um, but from what they do, how they execute, what they communicate, I think they do a, like a really good job. What do you mean in terms of when you look at the numbers, you see a clear difference? Do you mean in terms of scale globally? Rights yeah, process uh, or? Yeah, rights process. And then also, um, coming back after the pandemic, um, so, I mean, Uber and Lyft, they're basically at pre-pandemic levels, yeah, or mm -hmm. like between like 90, uh, 89 90, or 85 and 90% of what they have been like um, in mobility interactions and the revenue uh, before the pandemic. And uh, like free now, um, I don't have to charge in front of me now, but they are like, uh, they have to, uh, more room to pick up there. Yeah, they, um, it's harder for them to come back and uh, harder for them. Uh, to reach the same interactions levels than, uh, than, than the others do. It's very, very interesting. Um, basically, um, yeah, what you just described about the new services coming and then yeah, some startups picking a lot of funding. Of course, Uber like set all the records and um, then corporates trying like maybe, okay, getting interested or irritated by that, um, but not really maybe having the perfect fit in terms of culture to run the, these kind of very dynamic operations businesses uh, yeah. where um, it's so cost um, focused and uh, unfortunately the market environment and the vehicles, if you talk about micromobility, for example, that are um, out there and that are available um, is changing so quickly. And basically now yeah, having much different projections in terms of the importance for their overall business. While that kind of leaves the question for the industry in general, is it um, a bad business in general, or are there people who are successful? That's why I kind of asked. And it's interesting that you came with the example of yeah, Free Now again, though, who is, of course, a Daimler BMW um, subsidiary, if you want. And uh, they are very, very forward looking and fast on the product. It's been a lot of evolution, like moving into kind of an aggregator role. Mm. What, uh, what about um, yeah, vehicle sharing? Are there players in Europe that you come across, like digesting all this information that you can see, okay, they in this difficult space, they, they seem to be clearly expanding or doing some things, right? Yeah, if you talk about micro-mobility, I think uh, one company that's special there or, and that also have like a clear, clear strategy, a uh, very good story that they, they publish and execute is like Tier, um, mm -hmm. where they bet then on like the, the B2C business with like their scooters, but also try to diversify then with more like B2G business with like next bike acquisition, which has a, maybe it's the same type of vehicles or like category of vehicles, but have a completely different business model, if you ask me, because they sell their solution not to the end consumer, more than to cities and public transit authorities. Um, and then also, <clears throat> in addition to that, what they 
what they do then with like their battery um, swapping system, energy solutions network, and so on. I think that's that's also fascinating to see how fast they scale um, and how they then also outpace the others uh, like Bird and Lime that, that were maybe in front a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think Tier, yeah, they they've done a really good job in, in the last years and also. Um, to basically outpace them and uh, be the leader in the industry also now with like this bin acquisition and um, what else they have planned there. Yeah, it's really awesome. And what about cars? Anyone having any fun uh, sharing cars or that's really, uh, you, you mentioned the asset cost initially and maybe overall market might not grow a lot for feed size. Yeah. I mean, the innovation and like car sharing was quite limited in the last years, if you ask me. I mean, some switched from ICE combustion engines to like electric vehicles. Um, but yeah, we haven't seen any innovation on like the form factor with like small micro mobility uh, or like micro pods or small four wheelers with like, only two seats instead of four uh, for like the urban mobility. But let's see. I mean, Renault, they, they announced their plan for Mobilize yesterday. Um, they want to, to launch then with like two seaters at scale, I think 2023 or 2024. This could be interesting. Um, I hope they, they could execute the plan there and then scale across the, yeah, the metropolitan areas in, in Europe. Um, this could be interesting. But besides that, um, yeah, they, they have done some pilots with adding maybe um, different types of uh, vehicles or other verticals with bikes and scooters, mopeds, um, or like try subscription services instead of like per minute, per mile rentals. I think this was the, the innovation we have seen there. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, for me, it's like kind of uh, too slow in, in the development. Who do you think is the largest car sharer in Germany now? I mean, it's not public information, but. Mm, I think the largest by like free floating, um, I would say it's the, um, here share now. Maybe you have different information and <laughs> uh, you're smiling. I'm not sure, to be honest. I also really don't actually know, but I, I wonder if it's not miles already. And if not now, then in a year, I would bet they are because I, yeah. I feel like, um, like I was thinking a little bit with the initial question. Um, some people would answer, uh, who's like the best um, kind of shared mobility operator now or most successful or whatnot. And, and they say sixth. So because mm. it's like, okay, um, just already very old traditional company, but um, mm. at scale and very profitable. And then um, I think um, um, in terms of car sharing, specifically just focus on car sharing, um, yeah, Miles' um, fleet size has increased significantly, potentially larger now than um, share now. And, you're right. On the one hand, what you mentioned about innovation, form factor innovation or whatever, like business model locates now per kilometer, not per hour, but it's been like that for a long time. Yeah. It's not so clear on the surface what, for example, a sixth is doing differently from a Europe car and yet very different des- destinies now, basically, you know, on the one yeah. hand, losing 80% of your stock value, on the other hand, um, yeah, increasing and then like a profit warning in the sense of... Uh, it, Careful, we're making more profits than projected. Was kind yeah. of the profit warning they gave out some months ago, and um, and similarly in car sharing, where by and large um, it's a difficult business, and then there are individual um, players who seem to be um, doing very well, but are maybe also not um, communicating about it so much. 
Yeah. yeah, I think you mentioned mites. I think that they're also um, yeah, basically using the chance they get um, with the weakness of like share now. Um, I see also that share now is like decreasing the fleet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they like in this announcement with Stellantis or like free to move, they said like they have around 10,000 vehicles on the street across like Europe when I remembered correctly. Uh, yeah, it's way off from what they had uh, a couple of years uh, like back. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like miles is there in like expansion mode. Um, could be the case that they are like even larger in, uh, in Germany. Um, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, good, good guess. And then we, we said in the beginning, um, when we talk about shared mobility, we want to leave out the, um, subscriptions because yeah, it makes sense. It's not really a shared vehicle if it goes to the next person in three months, but from a like competitive perspective and market perspective, I think it's in, in direct competition. And, um, um, kind of my own example in this would be that I, um, of course we build software for these sharing operators. So I want to use it as much as possible and then like see what the problems still are today and what that feels like and stuff. And last year I was very kind of excessive about that. I took last year, like 300 trips roughly on Emmy and then lots of reshare and whatever, like every day, many times, wherever I want to go basically. But then some weeks ago could be eight weeks ago or so, like it works 90% of the time, 95% every now and then it's a little bit annoying because there's no vehicle close to you or there's something that doesn't open. It's very rare, but it happens every now and then. And like eight or 10 weeks ago, I was basically thinking, okay, there's a lot to handle with three kids and this kind of business and whatnot. And I just don't want this extra interruption after every time I want to go somewhere, check it out where the vehicle is. So I went to the Volkswagen website. Uh, and in less than 10 minutes, um, basically, um, fully online while I, while we were in a meeting, just doing this on the site, basically, mm-hmm. um, I subscribed to a car, like mm-hmm. to an ID4. Um, I could pick the location where it should be delivered in two weeks, like squeaky clean, uh, super great in terms of seats and battery and it's like loaded cards, a nice car. And so. I kind of did this calculation in my head. I used Emmy all out last year. I did 300 trips. Mm-hmm. It might have been 20 minutes in my case because it's a bit longer trips often. And I probably spend about a thousand, maybe max 1,200 euros. Mm-hmm. It takes me now six or seven weeks to spend the same amount uh, on the subscription. I also don't take any, any trips anymore, basically, except for one or two every now and then mm-hmm. when I'm like far away from the car. So it's a clear, like on the one hand, this, thing has substituted all my shared mobility trips again now. And I'm also spending much more money on this again now because all these like little basket sizes over, over there in, in shared mobility. So I think that academically, it's not related. Um, it's not yeah. really sharing, but it's direct competition. And, yeah. and the key difference from like a business perspective is like, where can I break even? Where can I make some money? I took not the ID3, but the ID4, because it looks cooler. I booked a kilometer package and then it's 700 euros a month. I could ride as much as I want the whole time until like the cows come home on Emmy to spend 700 euros. So um, that's a little bit where I think yeah, we also need to, maybe it would be interesting to talk about this well, subscription or ownership competing with sharing and how big will sharing really get, even if it's very refined um, as it, starting to be now, um, it's not seamless, um, like um, your dedicated vehicle. So what's your view on this in terms of total market potential of uh, sharing um, 
yeah, how do you even break that down? Maybe it's different big cities and whatnot, but in terms of total yeah. mobility spent in Germany, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at the modal split, shared mobility, including then like taxi and ride hailing, it's like minimal. Yeah, it's I don't know, it's like in the single digit uh, percentage range. Uh, so and basically, there's like a lot of room to grow. But you mentioned like several points. Yeah, I think it's depends on what cities uh, do to regulate the mobility and transportation setup um, in their um, like urban areas. Yeah, it's, uh, do they make it less comfortable to ride uh, or like to to drive a car? Yeah, by congestion, by taking away parking, uh, maybe radi radicate uh, um, car lanes to bike lanes, etc. So I think that's um, yeah, a very important factor to, to follow in the next couple of years. What do cities do? Uh, how do regulations look like? Uh, how like costly is, uh, and uncomfortable is it for like car owners um, to, to drive around like a city? At some point, it might be like less uh, challenging and more convenient to like, ride than again a bike or like the, the scooter. I think that's uh, one more important leverage um, to, to follow. Um, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, like car sharing or like car subs subscription, um, they also pull out younger customer customers out of the like shared mobility or other mobility systems. I would say, yeah, if you look at the numbers that the OEMs, um, like, uh, announce or publish, they're often 10 years younger than like a new car buyer or like a car buyer. Um, so I think it's a easier entry point, um, mm -hmm. to switch from shared mobility, um, to cars. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, uh, people, um, are like, they like convenience. Um, and you have it when you have your car. I mean, it's in front of, uh, your door. You just need to, uh, need your key and, uh, a charge car and, and you're ready to go. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's a high value, um, to customers. And, uh, you mentioned the price. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, it's super strange. Huh? You pay hundreds of euros for your car, uh, and you don't ask about it, uh, for like we have also like car subscription, it's a couple of hundred um, euros a month, including like then the energy it needs. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting withdrawn once a month from the from the the bank account. And okay, and this um, I think one of the challenges that also shared mobility has is the price transparency. As soon as you end your trip, um, you get the how how, how much the um, the cost was for this ride. Yeah, there you have it and say, oh, it's expensive. It's Maybe because you compare it to like public transit and public transit is cheap because it's subsidized by, uh, with your taxes basically. Yeah. But you never compare it to, um, the cost of owning or using your like car. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's leased, financed or then, um, on a subscription. And these calculations nearly nobody does. Yeah. I think uh, when a lot of people do the, the breakdown of the costs per mile or per trip they do with the car, they really will be surprised how expensive it is. Yeah. I think that's the, the challenge or, um, yeah, where the, the shared mobility is and yeah, the price transparency after every trip. And then nobody compares the, the costs to the cars. They only compare it then to the cheaper modes, with, which is then like public transit. I totally agree. The worst thing that a subscription service could do like for their retention would be to send like a weekly email to the user with the actual cost. Like in, I guess in my case would be like 180 euros per week. If I get mm. this email, I think about it all last week. I, I went to the office five times with the car. That's all I did. Maybe mm. once to the gym, then 180 euros. It's crazy, yeah. but, um, it's totally gone, um, out of, um, out of view basically. 
um, which is an interesting other aspect for regulars because when we talked about how much of the mobility spend might end up on these shared services, you didn't give me a percentage, by the way, because of course, super hard to estimate. But it could be that also in the future, the vast majority is still on, um, you know, dedicated um, private transportation. Um, but if the regulator plays a role in terms of, for example, um, um, use of public land in cities or so on, it could even um, also make sense to make uh, to intervene to make these uh, costs more transparent. I think like products mm. are getting labeled for how healthy they are or how much CO two they uh, cause, and it could be that a subscription service has to like maybe I don't know, keep reminding you about uh, what this cost is that you're sitting on. I don't know something like that. Yeah. You mentioned um, what some of the Volkswagen topics are, um, and for in general for OEMs that are maybe even more strategic now than to be in in vehicle sharing. And you mentioned um, yeah digital business uh, models. Can you speak a little bit about that? Uh, what um, what are some concrete examples behind that that we uh, can expect to see there and why they are big? Yeah, so if you look at the strategic announcements of like most of the OEMs, yeah, they are like public available on the investor relations websites at GM, Ford, uh, Stellantis, also like the new auto strategy. I think like what, what is there in like in the mind of the OEMs are like, um, either like car as a service um, offerings, like subscriptions they offer or like they put it often in this new business category. Then you have like features functions on demand so that you charge for like digital features in your infotainment system for like content you consume. Uh, maybe also uh, like special ranges for like your battery that you need when you um, go on vacation or different charging speeds or uh, things like that. So this is this is an area where they see potential. Yeah, but uh, selling software features and functions of the cars um, only for like a short period of time when the user needs it and have been, like a recurring revenue. Um, and then other areas are more like insurance based. Um, so. Insurance, car insurances are also a big business, often not owned by the OEMs. Um, I think they will look into this space as well. Um, and then including also new models, um, like then user-based insurance, um, where they say, okay, like Renault, for example, they say, okay, they, they want to, I think, uh, three, threefold the, um, re um, and the, the revenue they do with, um, insurances and, um, 20% of that should be with like user-based insurance. Um, and it's interesting, uh, also then maybe for like the equity story and the multiple they get on the, on the stock market, because basically you could sell this then as a subscription revenue, um, which, uh, is uh, seeing like way, uh, higher multiples than, um, like on the stock prices or getting higher valued by investors and analysts in comparison to like one-time revenue. So that's, uh, that's also, I think, a, a factor they keep in mind. Yeah. How could we uh, diversify our revenue streams? What could we classify as recurring subscription revenues for like features for insurances? Because that helps us also to grow our like, um, like stock price because there's a, like a way higher multiple on subscription revenues than like one-time revenues. Can you give some examples where that already exists? Because um, I think some of it is already out there. It sounds a little bit abstract, but it's actually right there. Like when I went into the ID4, okay, of course it's mm -hmm. a subscription per se, but regardless, just when you have an ID4, 
how quickly you are drawn into like the WeCharge 10 euros per month uh, charging mm -hmm. card. And then you discover there's Wi-Fi in the car, but only for the first three months or so, then you should subscribe to that. What are some of the services that already exist today that are monetized separately around cars? Um, what I monetized today, yeah, it's then like navigation features um, you see and then in your car, um, like an infotainment system that you pay for like updates of the map data, of traffic data. Um, I think it's then also uh, related to like content you can consume um, and like other ecosystems you could connect. I think BMW and Mercedes, they um, charged for like Apple CarPlay and I think Google Auto. Um, then uh, what else is there? I think then also like you mentioned charging related, maybe then also Uh, like Mercedes, they have like in-car office solutions that you can pay per month. Um, I think then also like lighting, uh, ambient lights and uh, uh, all kinds of like, yeah, well-being features within the car. Um, that's then also on, on subscription and, and you see there. It's like very basic if you ask me today. I think the more will come and we'll get more sophisticated. And there then the big question is, okay, how much? Do the users pay per month for those services? GM, for example, they said they expect around 135 US dollars uh, will be spent for features on demand, function on demand per month per user. Um, so that's that's really optimistic, if you ask me. Other OEMs and research uh, and cust customer service, they uh, predict way less. Um, and uh, they also predict that, okay, people don't want to pay for the services that OEMs have uh, on the radar now. They expected more to come than when with the vehicles when they, they purchase it or when they subscribe to it, like as a package. Um, yeah, so let's see how this plays out. It's, if you ask me, it's really early in the days. Um, and uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see then what additional services are coming there and then also like how willing or get some more details and about the willingness of the users and also to pay uh, for the services per month. It's really interesting what that could do with margins. I used the GM example, 135 a month. Maybe they are too optimistic. Some people warning, it's straight and rule, but this would be like 1,500 per year. Maybe an average car costs, what, 30,000? So this could yeah. be an additional, in GM's case, 9,000 over the first six years. Maybe yeah. they are too optimistic and it's not that 30%, but it's more like 10% or so. But yeah. the difference, I guess, is in terms of margin, like these services have a super high margin, maybe almost like almost 100% in some cases in terms of ambient light turning that functionality on or not. Um, and and the car itself might only have, I don't know, what's a typical margin on a on an average Yeah, if you uh, look in the, in the volume segment, like Stellantis, Volkswagen, they're around like uh, less than 10% for the cars. Yeah. Um, I think like uh, premium cars like Porsche and uh, Ferrari, they are like in different ranges, more than close to 20%. But uh, it's maybe five, six, seven, eight percent for the car. Um, so for and yes, for the so like without software. And then they say, okay, they with software, they can, uh, they have like a higher margin. Um, They expect like the the end margin for software is then around 20% or even more um, for like the traditional uh, OEMs like GM. Uh, and then it comes into like kind of blended margin of uh, 12, 13, 14% in, in 
that range maybe, which is basically doubling from yeah. what they what they have today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. And benchmark is definitely like Tesla in this range. Uh, I think they had crazy margin close to 20% uh, in uh, what was it, Q4 of 2021, or maybe was it even Q1 uh, of, uh, of this year? And then more to, to 90% uh, or closer to 20%, I would say. And a lot there comes then also from uh, like features software. And then in this case, also like features they sell for a high price and the, the user will never like be able to use um, and owning the car, like the um, autonomous driving stuff, full driving stack, yeah, where they paid like uh, 10,000 euros or $12,000, roughly like that. And uh, mm -hmm. it was not ready uh, when they uh, turned back the car, basically. <laughs> it's very fascinating. Um, we we covered basically yeah, a long time um, of uh, shared mobility or new mobility also coming to Germany 2013 and that evolution kind of a hype then kind of more realistic realization of okay what might be actually total size still the appeal of kind of the dedicated car and like who's running what um, but also yeah when you bring these examples about what are top topics now like software and additional services and maybe the outlook to try and double the margin um, Maybe that will be also called a mobility service in the future, basically, is uh, that you uh, have a service while driving in your um, own car. But it's a very dynamic um, space in terms of um, vehicle provision, operations needed, but also yeah, changing the form factor of the vehicles and then just trying to add more intelligence, configurability service into the car to improve margin. And yeah, I can only recommend to anybody, uh, if you're interested in the um, space to yeah follow you on LinkedIn. I think that's your primary channel right now, right? Where you push content out through LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn is my primary channel. I'm also on Twitter, but Twitter is like small in Germany. Um, yeah. So it's definitely like LinkedIn. It's also better for like writing the posts and uh, yeah, sharing documents, uh, links to documents, etc. So yeah, my main it's audience of, is there. I think there's a lot of work that uh, goes into that, and it's super helpful sometimes to. Like get this in front of you, get the overview or help with um, taxonomy and so on. Yeah, thank you for doing that on the side in addition to your uh, actually day job uh, and uh, three kids. And oh, thanks for taking the time today and uh, catching up with us. Yeah, thanks again for inviting me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Good night. I hope it adds value to the community of the Wunder podcast listeners. And uh, as you mentioned, if Uh, anyone needs some data, information, feedback on their ideas um, or like uh, yeah, any anything else I could help us, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter or wherever you find me. All the best. Bye-bye. Cool. Thank you. Bye-bye.